Paula, uh, raise your hand there. Paula is uh, the one who coordinates Angel Tree uh, over at the Trinity Baptist Church. And uh, we partnered with her uh, this past December and the whole ministry over there. And uh, anybody, how many, uh, I was trying to think, uh, how many, do you know what the number was? Uh, whatever. Yeah. 108? 108 angels. Okay, praise God. Let's praise God for that. But we partner with uh, Paula and Trinity Baptist and their ministry, and uh, we appreciate you so much uh, for doing a lot of the legwork for us, and it's wonderful when churches work together like that. So it's a real privilege to have you as part of our service today. Well, it's good to see you guys. Uh, I... uh, I want, to, I want to thank you uh, for your prayers. If, if you're new with us, I had rotator cuff surgery about uh, three weeks ago uh, on this arm. And uh, I, the prayer power has really been evident in my life. I, it's just been a relatively good experience. <laughs> I thought it would be a lot worse. I saw my wife uh, walk through it. Uh, she had her other arm uh, that was uh, operated on for rotator cuff issues in July. You know, we do a lot of arm wrestling, so uh, that explains that. But all that to say is your prayers have lifted me and encouraged me. And friends, it is just a testimony uh, to me personally about the power of prayer, how it's so important that we pray for each other in every possible way, because prayer makes such a difference. I'm going to start therapy this week so you can kick those prayers up uh, a notch. Uh, I'm so thankful for Rich uh, Willard, uh, Pastor Rich, uh, teaching, and the Dr. Lou on generosity and giving me a break. Uh, they did a great job. I appreciate them helping uh, me out. Today, uh, we are starting a new series uh, called Acts, the Church on Mission. We're going to be studying a portion of the book of Acts, 10 different passages. It is 28 chapters long, so we're only going to be able to touch on some highlights, especially in the first half of the book. But I just want to encourage you guys to dig in uh, when we study a book like this. I encourage you to read the book. It's a perfect book to read twice as we go through this series, a chapter a day. And I also encourage you to meditate upon it, uh, go to the website and get all the different messages. And just during your time with God, uh, reflect upon the passage that we're going to study that week. Or after we're done, uh, reflect upon it. Uh, but make it your own. You know, feed yourself. And uh, let me just be uh, a part of that process of knowing, getting to know that passage. Uh, that's so important that we spend time in the Word together. The reason that uh, I, I felt led to, to preach on the book of Acts is because Acts is about the mission of God. And I think it's so important that we as a family understand the mission of God more completely, to have a better understanding of the mission of God, and then be more deeply committed to the mission of God as a church family. So as we go throughout this 10 weeks, that's my personal goal is to help you understand the mission of God better and also 
to help you uh, or lead you into a greater commitment uh, to the mission of God. So if you could take your Bibles out at this time, I asked my uh, doctor, how much can I carry with my, my left arm now? And he said, oh, a beverage. Uh, I, have, I haven't always obeyed, and I have paid for it. <laughs> so I had to get rid of my Bible and just have my notes here. Uh, but all that to say is uh, let's dive in on Acts 1.1. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, whenever you study a book of the Bible, the two questions you need to ask in the beginning is who is the author and who is the audience? There are other questions, but those are the two core ones. Who is the author and who is the audience? Now, we look at this and we don't see a name of the person who's written the book, but we do know that it is Dr. Luke. Because when we look back at the Gospel of Luke, he also mentions Theophilus, the fact that he is writing to him. And of course, there's many other proofs that Luke wrote the book, but that's the most obvious. In fact, uh, if they would have done a better job of naming this book, you've got to remember that the, the uh, books of the Bible, in terms of the names, are not inspired per se. Uh, God didn't give them. Uh, they should have called it Luke, Volume 2. <laughs> okay? Luke, Volume 1 is a gospel, and Luke, Volume 2 is about the early church. And when you look at uh, these two books, they are a concise history of the New Testament. If you read the book of Luke about Jesus Christ's life, and then you read the book of Acts, those two books together give you the historical overview of the New Testament. So I'd encourage you to maybe do that. Start with the Gospel of Luke and then go into the book of Acts and it'll give you a summary of what the New Testament is all about. Now, who is Dr. Luke? Well, Dr. Luke was a Gentile. He was not a Jew. Uh, he was the primary traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. And we know that the Apostle Paul needed a doctor. He was being stoned. He was being shipwrecked. He was getting beat up. Yeah, it's a good idea to have a doctor around, right? Uh, Dr. Luke uh, was kind of like an investigative reporter. Uh, when you think about the fact that he wrote uh, on the life of Christ, uh, but we don't have any knowledge of the fact that he met Christ, uh, he investigated Christ. Uh, life. He talked to eyewitnesses and many other people, and then he put all that information together uh, into one of the Gospels. Uh, so he did the same thing with the book of Acts. Now, he was a witness to the book of Acts. We look at uh, his time uh, of life, uh, A.D. 30 to A.D. 60. Uh, that's, again, when he was ministering. And we see there that he was heavily involved with the Apostle Paul. And so many things he wrote from firsthand experience when we look at this. Now, let me ask you a question. Who do you think is the person who wrote uh, the, greatest, uh, the greatest percentage of the New Testament? Who would you guess? Well, yeah, Paul, right? He's got all those letters. He's got like 13 letters, 13 letters that are ascribed to him. But do you know that Luke 
wrote more than the wrote more than Paul did in the New Testament. If you were just to take it word by word, uh, Luke wrote 27% of the New Testament, while Paul only wrote 25% of the New Testament. Now, uh, Luke only had two books, but they were really long books. <laughs> okay? So I think it's very fascinating. A very critical person that God used to write down the record of what happened in the New Testament. And, of course, he was inspired by God, wrote down his words, and, uh, of course, did us a great uh, service. Now, he's the author. Let's look at the audience. Theophilus, uh, in Acts 1-3, it talks about uh, excellent Theophilus. And so the idea is that we knew that he was a high-ranking official, a high-ranking Roman Official. We don't know a lot about him. The fact that he probably became a Christ follower, had a relationship with Luke, and for some reason, Luke wrote these two historical books to Theophilus. Now, I'm sure he intended that they would be used beyond Theophilus, but uh, at the same time, he wrote these books uh, directly uh, to him. Now, we look at Acts 1-2, it says, it says, until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, when you look at the book of Luke and the book of Acts, and really any of the Gospels, you see the great transition taking place. And that is, when, when you study Jesus Christ's relationship with his disciples, he was mentoring them. He was discipling them. Uh, he was teaching them. He was showing them uh, who God was. He was God. All those different things. There wasn't a lot of ministry, per se, that the disciples did. I mean, they were helping Jesus with everything that he did, but uh, they didn't often go off on their own mission trips. So they were all kind of apprentices, I guess you could say. But when we get to the book of Acts, Jesus says, I am leaving, and you twelve are taking over. I am giving you the family business. Now, <laughs> you, know, you ever had uh, one of those family business situations, and you're thinking, oh, I hope they don't pass it down to their kids, because you might know their kids. <laughs> well, sometimes that's the way we feel about Jesus. Jesus, come on now. Uh, look at who you're working with here, uh, Peter and James and John and other individuals who show incredible uh, pride, uh, misjudgment, lack of faith as we look throughout the Gospels and say, really, you're going to give the whole endeavor over to them? <laughs> well, the beautiful thing about that, of course, is that uh, we're just like the disciples, right? Uh, yeah, we're, we we got a lot of weaknesses and uh, to entrust something so important, to entrust a mission to people who seem so inadequate doesn't make sense. But that's the way God operates. He, he loves to use inadequate people because then He gets the glory. So that's what we're studying about as we move from the Gospels to the book of Acts. We're talking about how God uses inadequate men and He fired up fired them up through the Holy Spirit to create an explosion of the early church, an explosion 
of evangelism, an explosion of missions that touch the lives of so many people. Now let's skip down to Acts chapter 1, verse 3. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. It says there, He presented Himself alive to them after a suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now this is something that we don't think a lot about. Sometimes, I don't know, I think people get the impression that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and then he kind of hung around for a weekend just to say goodbye to everybody and he was out of there. <laughs> no, he was on the ground in his glorified body for 40 days. That's a long time, isn't it? 40 days in his glorified body. Now, it's interesting to study Jesus' glorified body because it gives us the best idea of what our glorified bodies are going to be like. And I know mine's going to be a lot better than this one. Uh, yeah, Jesus could eat. I mean, that, that's kind of encouraging, isn't it? Maybe there will be chocolate in heaven. I don't know. You know, but he could eat. He could talk. Uh, I think people could recognize him. That's why we think we'll be able to recognize each other in heaven. Uh, and if you think you're not that good looking, you're going to be much better looking in heaven. I can just tell that. You're going to look wonderful. I promise that. God wouldn't do that to you. <clears throat> but all I had to say is he was walking around in his glorified body. And it wasn't like he was kind of saying, hey, hey, Peter, James, and John, let, let's go over to this upper room. You know, I don't want anybody to know I'm around. <laughs> no. He, he, he appeared in front of a group of 500 people. He's not trying to keep any secret here, right? And he's around for 40 days, so you can know that every religious leader, and all of these people, of course, were hyper about Jesus. Everybody knew that Jesus was alive. Everybody. Because can you imagine, I mean, let's face it, let's say you go to a funeral today, and uh, next week you see the person on the street. <laughs> you do a double, triple take, you go up to them and say, Hey, listen, you look a lot... Yeah, that's me. <laughs> oh, wow! <laughs> that would make an impression, right? Well, Jesus Christ is walking around for 40 days. Now, why is this? Well, why I think it is is because, first of all, uh, it's a proof of the resurrection. Is that it, everybody knew in that day, hey, Jesus Christ is alive. Nobody... Nobody could say Jesus Christ is still dead. I mean, I suppose they could. But so many people saw him. So many people testified to the fact that they saw him that it kind of put that issue to bed. The second thing is that he was able to speak to these inner group of disciples as well as, you know, we see the 120 disciples in the upper room at Pentecost, which we'll look at next week. But he was able to speak to them. He was able to encourage them. And I tell you what, when you look at what these Christians went through in the early church, when you think about the persecution, when you think about the death, how they were hung on crosses, how were they, they were fed to lions, you know that these people believed that Jesus Christ was God. You know that they had seen Him, that, that He was risen. And it galvanized the church saying, wow. 
this all makes sense now. Jesus Christ is God. And, and they followed Him, and, and they followed Him even to death because of that. The third thing is, is just to kind of fill in the gaps for the disciples. You guys ever read a mystery novel before? And you get to the end of the novel, and it turns out that one of the good guys turns out to be a bad guy. What I want to do is I want to reread the book to kind of see how did he respond in this situation, all that kind of stuff. Of course, I never have time to do that. But all that to say, can you imagine Jesus Christ and the disciples sitting around in a group and saying, okay, now what is it? It kind of all came, like a big, uh you know, I mean, <laughs> lights are going off all over the place. And the disciples, it's like, Oh, that's what you meant when you said you were going to rise again. You, you, you were going to rise again. <laughs> oh, mysteries came together. What? Oh, that must have been an incredible time for the disciples. Uh, but he was teaching them about the kingdom of God because it was just beginning. This was just, uh, obviously goes all the way back uh, to the beginning of the Word of God when we talk about the gospel and the kingdom of God and things of that nature. But we're just getting started here in terms of boots on the ground in regards to the church. And it was just uh, going to, uh, about to uh, begin. And that's the exciting thing uh, about it. All right, well, let's look at Acts 1-4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he tells them all this stuff. Okay? He casts this vision. He tells them what a difference they're going to make. And of course, now, if they had any doubt in their minds that Jesus Christ was God, I mean, any doubts have been erased. So he says, listen, this is what's going to happen. But he ordered them not to depart to Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which was the Holy Spirit. In fact, we see in Acts 2449, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, why did Jesus Christ have to order them to stay in one place and wait? Well, oh, man. I mean, these guys were amped up. These guys were ready to rumble. These guys were ready to roll. These guys were full of passion. These guys had a plan. They knew that they were going to change the world. And I tell you what, when you are that amped up, the last thing you want to do is sit, a, sit around and wait. There is no reason to wait here. We are ready. Jesus, you got 100% of our attention. I know we've been wimps in the past and disappointments, but oh, no, no, no. No, we're much different people now. Uh, we got it together, and we're ready to go. And Jesus says, nah, you better wait. <laughs> Why? Because they didn't have the power. They didn't have the power. They didn't have any clothes on. They needed to be clothed with power from on high. And this is so important for us to realize. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life. You know, 
energy, physical energy, mental energy, is uh, something that is so beautiful. It's so precious. And after going through what I went through, not that it was that big a deal, but at the same time, I realized, wow, I really appreciate energy. <laughs> Even this past Friday night, uh, I was working a full week, and um, it'd, been, it'd been a great week. It'd been a long week, but I was making plans for this year for the church, and uh, it'd been fun. And it was Friday night, and I was home with the family, and uh, just having dinner, and watching TV, and, and it was about 9.30, and, and I was watching David Letterman, a tape of it, uh, I'm an old guy, uh, interviewing Brian Williams, <laughs> okay, the newscaster. But all that to say, I mean, it, it's something I really wanted to watch. I really wanted to laugh. But I, I hit the wall. I mean, I said, i got to go to bed. I have no desire. I, I mean, it's not that I don't have a desire. I just don't have any energy left. I've got to get to bed, get to bed as quickly as possible. I don't have, I don't have energy to sit up. You know, we've all you know, you experienced the flu, these type of things. You know, you're laying there, and, and all you, do, all the energy you have is to breathe, right? You been there? You know, that's the way I felt. Okay, now guys. We study the Word of God, and, and we see what, how God desires us to live. And, and sometimes we get all amped up and we say, boy, I tell you, I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better uh, father. I want to overcome this addiction. I want to serve Jesus Christ and those type of things. And the problem is, is if we don't wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to help us do what we need to do. And some of you out there are so frustrated with your spiritual lives because there just isn't any power there. I mean, you try and you try and you try and you get discouraged and those type of things. Uh, what you need to understand, and, and I need to continue to remind myself, is am I truly accessing the power of God? Because that's the only way I can get anywhere. Otherwise, I'm not like a car without any gas. I am not going anywhere. I think it's fascinating when you look at Jesus Christ's life. Now, during our Christmas series, we talked about the Kenosis series in Philippians chapter 2. The fact that Jesus Christ emptied himself. And that means that he gave up, we don't know to what degree, some of his divine attributes in order that he might be the God-man. And I really believe that he gave up, to whatever degree, his supernatural power. And sometimes we look at Jesus Christ's life and we say, oh, well, that was easy for him to do. He was God. But I, I don't think that he, <clears throat> I think his power was quite minimized by his own choice in order that he might live the life that we live. I really believe that, the, that Jesus Christ lived by the power of the Holy Spirit, just like you and I are supposed to live. I mean, you think of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And again, we don't have a lot of information about the Trinity. Uh, but, you know, 
I, I think that each one has their own power base. Okay, even though they're one, each has their own power base. When we talk about the Spirit of God, many times uh, that refers to how He ministers uh, to us, how He gives us power. Now, again, there's exceptions and things like that. It's hard to be very dogmatic about it. But my my main point here is that when Jesus Christ was here on earth, I believe that he emptied himself, that he, he was totally submissive to the Father, and that he was totally dependent upon the, the Holy Spirit for his power. Now let me take a look at some quick passages to illustrate that. Uh, for example, we look at the baptism of Jesus Christ, Matthew 3.16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and coming to rest on him. Now, we, I've always taught, isn't that a beautiful picture? You have God the Father, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit coming down, God the Father saying, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. When in reality, I think what we need to draw from this passage is that the Holy Spirit was coming down on Jesus Christ to publicly acknowledge the fact that Jesus Christ was dependent on the Holy Spirit to live the perfect life that he needed to live in order to qualify to be our Savior. Now, again, he had been filled with the Spirit since he was a boy, but at the same time, this was a public acknowledgement that the Holy Spirit was empowering Christ. Now, we look at the Luke 4.1. This is even a stronger argument. It says, In Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Now, this is the precursor to Jesus Christ's temptation. Remember Jesus Christ's temptation by Satan? I'm going one on one. So the Holy Spirit, all right, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness, and he was with the Spirit. So we go through the temptation, and at the end of the temptation, we come out of it in verse 14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. So he's coming out of the temptation. He's walking out of the wilderness where he was victorious. And a report about him went throughout all the surrounding country. So Jesus Christ was victorious. And the defining thing that was said about him, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. It says in Hebrews, and we have a high priest uh, and we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses because he has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So Jesus was tempted. What allowed him to stay strong and not fall to the temptation of sin? It was the Holy Spirit empowering him. Okay? One more thing, Luke 4.18. He was in the Capernaum, uh, <clears throat> the Capernaum tabernacle, not, uh, the synagogue, excuse me, and uh, his hometown, and he read from Isaiah 61. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty to those who are oppressed. Now, this is very, very, uh, very, very important to understand. The fact 
that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life only because the Holy Spirit empowered him to do that. Okay? Now, what does that say to you and me? Well, I believe what that says, Jesus Christ was modeling how to live life. And, and therefore, he was totally submissive to the Father. said, God, whatever you want me to do. And, and again, I believe that he was totally empowered by the Holy Spirit. So if we're going to be effective in the way that we live our spiritual lives, we need to be filled with the Spirit and controlled by Him. Ephesians 5.18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, wild living, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, if you have ever been drunk before, if you ever committed that sin, uh, yeah, that's foolishness, right? That's wild living. God doesn't want you doing that. And... It uh, it's problematic because the wine is controlling you, and you you don't want anything like that controlling you, right? <laughs> the only thing you want controlling you is the Holy Spirit, and that's why we see uh, the analogy here. Don't be controlled by, by wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, I think I believe that. Many Christians struggle in their Christian lives because they hear about how they should be living as a Christ follower and what they should be doing, and they get all amped up, they get all motivated, they think, okay, this time I'm going to do it, I'm going to give my 100% energy, I've got all my tactics and strategies down, and then they fall on their face whether they're trying to overcome an addiction, whether they're trying to restore their marriage, whether they're trying to deal with lust, whether they're trying to deal with greed, gossip, lying, you name it. Okay? They think, this time it's going to happen. The problem is, is that they're depending on their own power, and they're not going anywhere. It is so important for daily Christian living, to realize that it is the Holy Spirit who empowers you to live the Christian. <laughs> the Christian life is impossible, right? Yeah, no doubt about that. But again, as you allow the Holy Spirit to fill you, as you allow the Holy Spirit to control you, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, there's different ways it is stated, the idea of Jesus Christ living through you, the essence of it is that you need to live every day, every hour in dependence upon God, in dependence on the Holy Spirit, in dependence on Jesus Christ. And friends, that's when you start to change. That's when, let me take that back. That's when God starts to change you. Okay? I'll tell you what, the bottom line is we are arrogant. We are selfish. We are prideful. We would rather do it on our own, on our own terms, uh, with what we feel comfortable with. And that's why many of you are struggling today. That's why many of you can't feel any power 
in your spiritual lives. That's why many of you think, what's the use? That's why many of you have written off a particular area of your life saying, it's just not worth it. You know, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. Right there. (laughs) I've tried, right? It should be, I need to trust. Okay? Now, let you know, again, I, I resonate with all this, okay? You know, as I think back on my week, and you think back on your week, I mean, really think about it. How dependent were you on the Holy Spirit? How many times can you count that you actually prayed, Oh, I need, I need the Spirit in this situation. I, I got nothing. You know, I've hit the wall. I don't have the emotional energy to deal with my child, spouse, boss, neighbor, whatever it is. And again, I mean, that's you've waited too long. Because <laughs> right? you were dependent on your own energy, but sometimes that's the way it is. You have to wait that long until you realize, oh, I can't do it. But all that to say is that in the discipleship process, in becoming more like Jesus Christ, This is, I really believe, the heart of it, is coming to the point where you realize, I cannot do it. And just waking up every morning and submitting yourself to Jesus Christ and saying, Jesus, you know, fill me with your spirit. Uh, Live through me. There's so many challenges I have in my life. And then as you go throughout your day, it says pray continually, right? And so therefore you say, Lord... And when you start to, your emotions start to rise, anger, frustration, you know, just despair, whatever it is, you just go right back at Jesus and say, Lord, oh, I need the Spirit. I need the Spirit to fill me. I need the Spirit to control me in my life. Uh, that's what it's all about. Okay? And uh, so I, I just, that's the takeaway today. I would encourage you to write this down somewhere where you see it and say, am I depending on the Spirit of God? And just as you go throughout your week, just ask yourself that question. Because, friends, that's when things really start uh, to happen. Uh, We look at Acts 1.8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is the corollary to the Great Commission that we see in Matthew 28. In fact, let's take a look there. Matthew 28, 18-20. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. That is the mission of the church right there. Matthew 28. 18 through 20. Go! Go and make disciples. And discipleship is a process. First of all, a person has to understand the gospel and, and accept the gospel and receive it. And then a person needs to grow in their understanding and dependence upon the Holy Spirit and so many different things. Uh, they need to be baptized. And we're going to have a baptism here in a few minutes. And the whole idea of baptism is identifying with Christ, his death. Uh, his burial, his resurrection, also identifying with the fact uh, that a person is dying to their old self, 
they're buried and they're risen uh, with their new self, their new capacity, uh, they're being transformed by God. It's a beautiful picture. And again, there's a close relationship between baptism and uh, conversion. Again, baptism doesn't save you, but it's important, I believe, uh, to be baptized as quickly as possible. And uh, so we'll be talking about that another time. Uh, but we are to go and make disciples. We are a disciple-making church. And, man, I just, I just have to throw this out. I have to get my two cents in. Please do whatever you can to be at the February 1st men's event. Go back today. And, ladies, you work your man over. All right? Go back and pay the money. Register. If you don't have the money, we can take care of that, okay? But make that day a priority and bring other people along. That's going to be a disciple-making day. We're going to be discipling each other in different ways of what God wants us to understand about our role as men as we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. But don't miss this opportunity, okay? Now, let's go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, that power is dunamis. In fact, Alfred Noble uh, invented dynamite. And he went to a friend who was a Greek scholar, and he said, what's the Greek word for uh, power? And his friend said, dynamos. And so that's how he came up with the word dynamite. Now, after a lifetime of selling dynamite, and uh, the things that it was used for, he felt somewhat guilty, and so he created the Nobel Prize, and you know, the story goes. But the point being here is that uh, the Holy Spirit is dynamite. Now, here's my question for you. Have you experienced the dynamite of the Holy Spirit in your life? And some of you have just experienced a, experienced a little firecracker. <laughs> Can you tell the difference between a firecracker and dynamite? You think so? <laughs> I think so. All right? Friends, when you experience the dynamite of the Holy Spirit, you know it. Now, I'm not saying that that God instantly changes people. Sometimes that happens. You know, He takes away addictions, those kind of things. Usually it's a process. But friends, I was just talking with a, a man uh, at, at breakfast this past Friday. And this guy has been a Christ follower for 18 years. And we were just talking about his discipleship journey. I don't have time to go into it now. But if you heard this, you would say, that's dynamite. Okay? And many of you have experienced the dynamite of Jesus Christ in your life. The Holy Spirit's power in your life. Because there's no other explanation than the power of God in your life. When you can't explain it, oh, I worked really hard. Forget that. No, no, no. We're talking about the Holy Spirit's power. I have no clue how that happened. It was something it was something from within. Like a horror movie, right? It was something from within. Yes, it was from within. It's the Holy Spirit. 
When you allow Him to control you, when you submit to Him and say, You do your work, I'm putting my agenda aside, I'm open to whatever you want to do. Oh, that's a dangerous thing, right, in our own minds, but not really, right? I, I'm yours, man. Come into me. Fill, well, He's already in you. All right, uh, fill me. Fill me. Control me. Do your work. Go deep. Get the junk out. Man, the dynamite is set off. And, and so many of you know the dynamite of God, but the question is, when's the last time you experienced it? If it was ten years ago, you're not filled with the Spirit. If it was five years ago, you're not filled with the Spirit. If it was two years ago, you're not filled with the Spirit. Because, friends, if you allow the Holy Spirit to work in you on a daily basis... I don't know how often that dynamite's going off, but it's going off regularly. And you, you have such a close relationship with Jesus because you know that nothing is more important than walking with Him and experiencing the power of God. Amen? Amen. All right. Verse nine, Verse 11. And uh, uh, well, let me just go back to verse 8 quickly here. Uh, again, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and the end of the earth. That, that's an outline of the book of Acts. Uh, we'll talk about that later. But the idea is your witness in Jerusalem, your local area, then in a region, and then in, in, to the ends of the earth. Okay? Now we'll come back to that. Uh, now let's look at verse 11. Uh, yeah, whatever. And said, Men of Gal- Oh, okay. Boy. I forgot to put Jesus' ascension in there. Sorry. <laughs> well, that didn't work well. Okay, well, Jesus went up. He ascended into heaven, okay? My apologies. <laughs> Remember, I'm still on medication. All right. <laughs> read, read the ascension when you get home. All right. Uh, it's really cool. All right. Verse 11. It said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand... Okay, so this is where I'm getting confused. Uh, the angel... <laughs> the angels have come down after the ascension and are kind of giving these guys some coaching. He said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is going to, and he's going to come back in the same glorified body that he had before he ascended into heaven. And he's in that same glorified body now, sitting right next to the Father in heaven. But Jesus is coming back. I don't know. I mean, it certainly seems like it's getting closer, right? Could happen any day. But, but, but the, the thing, while we wait, okay? While we wait is we let God be our Lord, Jesus be our Lord. We let the Holy Spirit's power, you know, blow some deep dynamite deep, deep in that iceberg and help us to be more like Him. And we're on mission. We are on mission. We are making disciples. 
We're growing people in Jesus Christ. We're reaching people uh, for Jesus Christ. All right. Well, right now, we're going to celebrate a baptism. Uh, baptism, again, as I talked about, is a public uh, testimony of one's faith in Christ and uh, their commitment to the church. It was so funny. We planned this baptism and uh, I was thinking this past week, I can't do a baptism. <laughs> so I've asked Rich to help me out in this way. So come on out, Brother Rich. All right, well, this is Tim Ezekiel, and this is uh, Tim's probably about sixth visit. And so it was really exciting to see him connect with uh, Brian Harrison and some of the men at our uh, men's young adult small group. And I know you guys connected a little bit last year. You've had an opportunity to kind of visit some a little bit the uh, last couple of weeks. And so uh, it was really exciting for me just to kind of hear your story. And I'm so glad we could celebrate this day with you today. But why don't you just share your uh, faith story with us a little bit. Good morning. Uh, my name is uh, Timideo Ezekiel. So you can just call me Tim. I'll be short. Um, I uh, was born in Nigeria. I uh, moved to uh, the north side of Chicago at a young age of six. My father was actually a pastor, so uh, I kind of, uh, church wasn't new. I kind of uh, knew the, the words of God. But um, as, as your father is a pastor, people feel like you're obligated or you should already, you know, uh, have faith in God and already, you know, uh, take him as your, your savior. That wasn't really the case for me. Um, like I said, I was really young, so I know Sundays would just, you know, our family would get together and go to church. You know, that, that was just a, a tr- kind of traditional thing we, we would do. Um, as I got a little older, I got I, I guess I gained a little freedom. I stopped going to church for a while, um, and uh, I could just see you know, things in my life would go downhill. And uh, had some um, unfortunate events. I uh, lost my lost my father recently. Uh, lost uh, a, a good friend, and uh, due to that, I was really depressed. Really depressed. Uh, kind of my body just kind of just shut down. I was at home for you know months. Wouldn't leave the house. Uh, due to that, you know, I lost my job, which was which was a tough loss too. Um, and uh, God just, you know, one day God just woke me up. You know, He said, uh, you, know, "You need me." Basically, He just said, "You need me. You won't be as happy as you should be without me." And uh, I took that, you know, into consideration. I really, really uh, listened. And uh, I live really close by, so I would pass the church a lot. You know, so um, one Sunday, a couple weeks ago, I figured I'm just gonna come. I need to be prayed. Um, and with God's grace, I met uh, Brian, uh, the uh, pastor's son, which is you know, wonderful. He's been helping me through everything. Um, helped me realize, you know, that you really need God, that, you know, you really need him to be your savior. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was sold. Um, you know, there's nothing more I could really say. Um, I just, you know, I, I feel like I really needed this. Uh, I need a change in my life. I feel like uh, it's time for me, to, you know, to follow the, the righteous path to take in his word and obey it. Um, and so I'm, I'm here to get baptized. Outstanding, man. Amen. It's <laughs> uh, outstanding, man. Oh, and that's a warm. <laughs> Tim, have you asked Jesus Christ to uh, come into your life and to be your Lord and Savior? Yes. That's outstanding, Tim. And is it your desire to uh, 
to make him your Lord and Savior and follow him all the days of your life? Well, based on your testimony and your public confession of faith, Tim, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right. <laughs> hey, congratulations, brother. <laughs> All right. All right, you ready to go? <laughs> This is Patty Whalen, and Patty and, uh, and her husband Guy and her son Jack have been at Springbrook for quite some time. It's been really exciting for me to, 